everyone. Open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. Good to see you. My name is Tim Harris, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. I wasn't sleeping on the front pew. I honestly was praying and thought that song would last longer than it did. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. This is the final Sunday in a series entitled Ecclesia. The word ecclesia is the word most commonly used in the New Testament for church. It means called out ones. It means assembly. And we've been talking about the church as the people. The church is people. We are the church. The people called out by God, transformed through Christ and possessed by the, say the words, Holy Spirit, possessed by the Holy Spirit to praise and glorify him forever. Are you listening to me? That's what we are. We are the people called by God, transformed through Christ and possessed, our bodies possessed by God's Holy Spirit and we are intended to praise and glorify him forever. We are the church. We are God's people. And it is glorious. It is glorious that he has called us. It is glorious that we can serve him. It is amazing. But it's also complicated and it's difficult. And on this last Sunday morning of this series, I just want to remind you of the hard, difficult, glorious truth. And that is that we are in a battle. We are in a war. Never forget that we are in a battle, that when we are the people called out by God and transformed through Christ and possessed by the Holy Spirit, we are called to inherit all of the riches of Christ, but those riches aren't in our hands yet. We have an enemy. We have one who has it as his purpose to steal, kill, and destroy everything, everything that he can get his hands upon. We're in a battle. And that simply means that everything we try to do for Christ is opposed. Every time we try to stand, there's going to be one who comes to try to knock our knees out from under us. Everything we do is opposed. So what does this mean? How do we fight and how does it all turn out? That's what we learn in Scripture from Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. All of you at the Franklin campus, all of you uh, within the sound of my voice, follow along at what God's Word says. I've preached this passage lately. I concentrated then on verses 13 to 16, so today I'm going to lay a little more heavily on the final verses. So dig in with me, Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Stop right there. It is always easier to talk about what other people say. It is always easier to talk about what other people say. So Jesus asked them, verse 15, but who do you say I am? It's personal. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being." Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. Upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell, the gates of hell, will not conquer it, will not stand against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. 
Stop right there. On this rock, I will build my church. There was a Wednesday night, Wednesday afternoon. I, I was on my way to church, but I decided to, to uh, stop and make a visit to a church family. Uh, church family with a cocker spaniel, I should add, a cocker spaniel. Uh, I, I pulled up in their driveway. This is still the, strange, the strangest thing to me. I pulled up in the driveway. I got out of the car. I, I walked across the driveway, across the patio. I went up to the side door. I know the family. I went up to the side door, went up and knocked on that back door. Nobody came to the door. Nobody was home, so, so it was just that simple. I, I left a note, and I turned back around. I walked back to my car the same way I came. I walked through the side porch and down the steps and across the patio and, and across the driveway. I never stepped off the pavement. I, I promise. I never stepped off the pavement. I got back in my car, put it in reverse, started to back out, and my car was filled with this horrible smell. I mean, horrible, make-you-sick kind of smell. And, and I realized immediately... I've stepped in, in doggy do. And, and, and I felt horrible about that. I mean, it was just awful. So I looked down, and sure enough, I could see on my shoe, man, it was all over my shoe. It obviously was not just on the bottom. It was on the top of my shoe. I never stepped off pavement. I don't know how it happened, but it was all over my shoe. And it was the strongest, most awful smell. I pulled off on Three Springs Road. I pulled over to clean my shoe, and I did. I cleaned my shoe. I rubbed it in the grass. I did everything to get that awful stuff off of my shoe. I put my shoe back on. It was clean. And I got in the car, and I could still smell it. I could still smell it. At this point, I'm wondering where else I got it. I mean, I must have got it in my hair or something. It's horrible. So I look, and sure enough, it's, it's, it's in the carpet now of, of my floor mat. And then I look closer, and it's in all the grooves on my gas pedal. It's in the grooves of the gas pedal. Horrible. I, I, I come on to church because I have to. It's church time. And one more time as I'm walking in the door, I'm cleaning off my shoe. I, I want to make sure I'm not going to get it on anything in the church. My shoe was clean, but I still had secondhand stink. You know what I mean? I don't see any of that on me anywhere, but I still smell it. I smelled it through that whole Wednesday night, and I was pretty sure y'all smelled it too. Now, you never said anything. Nobody ever really said, Brother Tim, you're really stinking up this whole place. But honestly, that's how I felt. And I'm telling you that story because that's how I feel a lot of the time. I feel like I stink this place up. And I do. I, I, I really do. I know more about me than you know about me. And I know how inadequate that I am. And I feel that every day. I became your pastor 14 years ago. I didn't know much then, but anything I had to give you, I've given it by now. I'm telling you, I spent it early, and there's really not much left for, for me. I mean, I'm just telling you the truth. This is how it feels to me. And the church grows, and the church multiplies, and I'm telling you, I don't always feel like I'm growing and multiplying with it. I feel like I stink this place up a lot of the time. I know myself. I know that I don't know enough. I know that about myself. I don't know enough. I, I am called to preach, and I love to preach, and I will continue to preach for the Lord and for you. But I preach three times a week in this house knowing that I am not the smartest one in the room. 
I know that. Some of you have been studying your Bibles for years and years and years, and, and, and you know this stuff better than I do. I recognize that, but I still have to preach. Never the smartest one in the room, but I still have to get up and, and bring the sermon. I, I know this about myself. I, I know that I'm not smart enough. I know that I'm not adequate. No matter what I try to do or how hard I try to do it, it never comes out right. It just never, ever comes out right. I I make too many mistakes. I know the mistakes I make, and you all do too. I spend a lot of every week apologizing to God and apologizing to others for the mistakes that I make. I'm not being falsely humble here. I am telling you the truth about myself. I am not adequate. And honestly, there are times as a pastor when it just becomes so discouraging, just absolutely discouraging. I I can't keep up. I I can't keep up with the congregation. I cannot do everything right. I can't always preach the way I dream of preaching. I just can't. And honestly, there are times when I could just pack it in. There are times when I go to the, to the Minute Mart and, and I get a, a soft drink there from the fountain and I look at the person behind the counter I think, I would love to have your job. I would just love to have a job like that. Or you guys who get to mow for a living, I would love that job sometimes. I would love to have a job like that. But I've got my job. And it seems like an, an enormous job that I will always, always fail to measure up inside. It's just overwhelming, and some days very, very discouraging. And then I remember one thing. It's the truth of this scripture. It's what Jesus says to Peter on this particular day at Caesarea Philippi. He says this, upon this rock, I will build my church. I will build my church. That's the good news. Understand that the truest thing we can ever understand about ourselves, about Woodburn Baptist Church, this is Christ's church. It is his church. It is his church. It's always been his church. It's a part of his great big church, but Woodburn Baptist Church is the real deal. It's the church of Jesus Christ. It's his church. And he's building it. He's doing it. It, It's his church. He's fully responsible for it. And don't you understand, it's not about me. And it's not about you. And and praise the Lord, it's it's not about my gifts or or what I know or what I don't know. It's not about my ability to perform or come through for you all. I will never come through. And we're not waiting around for me to come through. We're not waiting around for anything. This is Christ's church today. This is it. It's his. It's 100% his, and he's building it. He makes himself fully responsible for this church and the ministries of this church. It all belongs to him. That's why, you don't know this, but I want you to understand something about the seat where you're sitting right now. Where you're sitting right now, your pew, I prayed for you this week. I walked these pews. I walked in between every one of these pews this week. And Franklin, I prayed for you too. I prayed for you. I begged God for you. 
I beg God that something would happen on this particular Sunday. I just beg God that he will show up and that he will do something because this is his church. And I know good and well, it's not going to be anything I do. I know it's not ever going to be anything I say. It's going to be Christ speaking to hearts through his word. The best thing I can ever do is open his word and start to preach it. Preaching his word to his people. Feeding God's word to God's people. That's the only thing I can ever do. It's all I can ever do. And then I can walk these pews and I can pray and I can beg God that you'll fall in love with him. And that's what I pray. I just beg God that you'll love him. I just beg God for your family and for your marriage and for your children. I can just beg God because honestly it's God's work. It's all God's work. It's his church. His If there are 20 campuses to plant, they'll all be his. Franklin campus, it belongs to Christ. It all belongs to him. And that's the good news. It's not up to me. It's not up to you. It's not our church. Now, we sometimes do a pretty good job of stinking it all up. But there's not a thing we can do, not a thing we can do to cancel what Christ has planned for this church. He'll do it with us. He'll do it without us. But he's going to build his church. He's going to build his church. Here's the amazing, it's the absolutely amazing thing. It's crazy. If it weren't God doing it, I'd say it's crazy. But what does he do? Very, very plainly, what does he say here? Verse 19, I will give you the keys. That's just nuts. That's crazy. I'm going to build my church, but I'm going to give you the keys. I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. Oh my goodness, what is he thinking? What is God thinking? I've got a 16-year-old in my house right now. He's an awesome kid, an awesome kid, a brilliant kid, smart and coordinated, and I could brag and brag and brag about him, but right now, he's learning to drive. And I'm telling you, that there are all of these moments now in any given week when he says, can I drive? And I have to do what? I have to take the keys out of my pocket and hand them to him. Oh my goodness, I love my son, and he's a pretty good driver. Every now and then he'll say, hey daddy, can I just drive to church by myself? I'm thinking, let me think about this a minute. No. No. Oh my goodness, I have these pictures of him just leaving our driveway and driving off a cliff on the way to church. There are no cliffs that I know of between my house and church, but I can still picture it, man. If there's a cliff out there, he'll drive into it at least in my mind, oh oh my goodness, to give him the keys? That means I'm giving him responsibility. I'm giving him full responsibility. It means one of these days, God help us all, I will not be in the car with him to go, stop, stop, it won't be me to do that. Won't be his mother in the back seat praying. (laughs) He's going to be behind the wheel. He's going to take the keys. He's going to take responsibility. He's going to take ownership. Jesus says, I'm going to build my church, but I'm giving you the keys. Doesn't he know we could drive this whole thing off a cliff? We could do it. And there have been times in our church's history when we've come real close, we could drive this whole thing off a cliff. We really, really could. What is he thinking? I know it's his church and it's his church to build, but he gave the keys to a whole bunch of doofuses. We could drive the whole thing off a cliff. 
Yes, we could. Absolutely we could. It's a risk that Jesus is delighted to take. Because that's not what's going to happen. That's not what's going to happen. This church is not going to go off a cliff. Don't you understand that? It's not going to happen because we're going to follow Jesus and he's not going to lead us off a cliff. This church is not going to die. I know this. You know how I know this? Because Jesus is not dead. This church will not die either. He's given us the keys. He has given us ownership. He's given us responsibility. I don't know what God is thinking unless it is a plan so amazing, a plan that is going to end so gloriously with us behind the wheel. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. He's given it to us. He gives the keys to us. It's glorious, but there's something you need to know. There's something you've got to understand. Upon this rock, I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. That's what verse 18 says. All the powers of hell will not conquer it. Now that, on the one hand, is beautiful news. The gates of hell will not prevail against it, the scripture says. All the powers of hell will not conquer it. That's beautiful. That means from the very beginning, we know how this whole thing turns out. There's no mystery here. We are going to be on the winning side. We're going to be victorious, always victorious, because we know right from the start that all of the powers of hell... All of the powers of hell, what we're saying is if the devil threw everything at us that he has to throw at us, all the powers of hell, there's nothing he can do to stop us when we're doing God's will. Not a thing. If he threw it all at us at one time, he cannot, cannot defeat us. All the powers of hell will not conquer the church. I love that. That's beautiful. We know how it ends. It ends with victory. Complete Total, miraculous, glorious victory. But you got to understand that between here and glorious, miraculous, total victory, there is a fight to be had. When the scripture says all the powers of hell will not conquer it, don't you understand something? That does mean that they'll try. They won't be victorious. All the powers of hell cannot defeat us, but that does not mean they won't come against us, and they will, and they are. They already are. You you people know me by now. I, I am a sissy, and I apologize for it. I wish I was tough. I've always wanted to be tough. I look at tough guys. I look at tough girls and think, man, I I just wish I could be like that. I wish I could be a little more aggressive. I'm just not uh, aggressive. I'm just not. I I watch some of you guys play sports, and, man, you get that ball, and you run, and you'll kill people to score. I'm, I'm impressed with that, honestly. Maybe I shouldn't be, but I think that's awesome. Man, you break bones, you bleed, you lose teeth, and you just get up and spit them out, and you just keep going. There's just not much in my life I'd lose teeth for. For that matter, there's just not that much in life I want to get a hit for. I mean, if I'm playing football and you're coming at me and you want the ball that bad, here. Just here. Man, that, I'm not kidding. That's just me. That's why I, I never excel at sports. I, I don't want the ball. I don't really care about scoring. It's a ball in a basket. I mean, my goodness. I, I mean, Why? 
Why? I, I'm lacking that total aggressive gene, that aggressive bone. It's just not in me. I, I love to run. I, I, I run. That's how I exercise. There's a little bit of discipline and devotion in that. But honestly, if you come out to race me and you want to beat me, I'll just let you have it. I, I don't care that much. I've just never been a person looking for a fight. Never. I've never been in a fight. I know the day's not over, but I'm 45. I've never really thrown a punch at anybody. My sister. (laughs) But she beat me up every time. Every time. She's wild. She doesn't fight fair. She spits and pulls hair. My sister Tracy get on the couch and kick her feet like this, like a wild animal. And I'm dumb enough just to come over there. Man, I'm telling you, it's not in me. The fight's just not in me. My, my whole life, 45 years, is more or less a, a whole adventure of avoiding conflict and avoiding a fight. I don't want one. I'm not looking for one. But this scripture says something so true and so important to understand that there is a fight. It is inevitable And as a member of Christ's body, as a follower of Jesus, I've got a target on my back. All the powers of hell are going to come against me and against you because we are the church. It is guaranteed. The devil is not going to leave me alone just because I really don't want to fight. I'm a sitting duck if I'm not going to fight. Do you understand that? He's evil. He's evil. He's not going to feel sorry for you because you've already suffered so much. Don't you understand? If he's already weakened you by suffering, he'll hit you harder today. He's evil. His desire is to stop you. His desire is to conquer the church. He never can. He never will. It's not going to happen, but he's going to continue to try. Because guess what? He's not going to win the whole thing at the end. We know that, and he knows that. He will not win the whole thing, but he'll take as much as he can between here and there. He'll take as much as he can. And unfortunately, even though victory is assured when we fight, if we do not fight, he wins. He doesn't win ultimately. He'll never defeat Christ. He'll never win in the big picture. But in the small picture of my life and your life, in the small picture of Woodburn Baptist Church, if we don't stand against him, he'll just take it all. Are you listening to me? He'll take it all. And it's not because we couldn't defeat him. It's because we never bothered to stand up against him. Never bothered to engage the fight. There is a fight. You are in it. So am I. I'm not talking about the elections this week. Please spread the news. That's not the big fight. Rand Paul and Conway are not the big fight. Don't you understand? Obama is not the big fight. I'm afraid some people miss this. They spend their whole life, they spend all of their energy spending this whole week campaigning and fighting a fight that honestly matters very, very little. Very, very little. You care more about Rand Paul than you do the Apostle Paul. And that means something is wrong with you. Something's messed up with you. You're fighting the wrong fight. All the powers of hell, the gates of hell are going to come up against the church. That means they're going to come up against you and against me. I know what you're thinking. It's what I think too. 
all the powers of hell, the gates of hell. I mean, if the gates of hell ever pulled up in my driveway, I believe I'd see them. The gates of hell showed up one day. I think I'd fight. My goodness, who wouldn't? Gates of hell come pulling up in your driveway. You're going to get off the couch and fight. But that's not how it looks. That's not how it works. The devil can't win. He's not going to pull up in your driveway with the gates of hell. It's not going to work like that. He comes under your radar. He's already fighting against you, and, and he studies you, and he's figuring out, even as we sit here, he's figuring out how to undo you. And he's a very, very patient enemy, and he's not going to come at you in a way that you understand that he's attacking you because you'd fight him then. He's not going to come at you wearing a sign. He's not going to come at you and announce that he's attacking you. He's going to attack you in the way that you never think, the way that you never see coming. And as a matter of fact, some of you right now are being defeated by him. But the problem is you don't know it's him. He's the one that's destroying your family. And you don't know that. You've never acknowledged that. You've been blaming her. You've been blaming him. But it's the enemy. Our enemy is always the devil. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, the scripture says, but against principalities and powers, all of the powers of hell. Do you understand? They're already coming against you, but he manages to do it in such a way where you don't even bother to fight. You don't even recognize that it's him. You just roll over and you let him take whatever he wants from your life. You're as big a sissy as I am. You run from a fight just like I do. We've got to stop that. We're the church. We're the church that Jesus Christ has built and continues to build with living stones. And we are those living stones. And Jesus is going to build it. And Jesus is going to be victorious. And I'm telling you, even though it's his church, he's given us the keys. He's given us responsibility. He's given us our part of the fight to fight. And we got to fight. I don't like to fight, I don't want to fight, but there are things at stake that matter to me and matter to God, and I'm not going to let the devil take them. Are, are you listening? Not going to let him have it. we got to stand up. We have to stand up in the power of Christ and in the name of Jesus. We've got to stand and stand strong and understand that there's an enemy an enemy who can't have anything that we don't give him, who can't take anything away from us that we don't voluntarily surrender. He has no power over us. The only power he has is to lie. The only power he has is to steal and destroy. And if there's anything being stolen from your life right now, your joy, your peace, anything being stolen from your family, your children, from this church, understand he doesn't have the power to steal what we don't automatically hand over to him. He has no power over us unless we don't fight. Guess what we got to pray for in our church at Woodburn Baptist Church at Franklin and at Woodburn, we've just got to pray that God will give us this holy kind of aggression. It's not aggression against people. We're not fighting people. We're not fighting each other. We're not fighting Republicans or Democrats. Come on, understand. We wrestle against the principalities and powers, all the powers of hell. It's a fight, people. And we've got to get aggressive. 
We've got to stand. We've got to stand. And honestly, if we would just stand and rebuke him, stand and say, no, no, devil, you're not going to take my church. You're not going to have any victories in this place. You're not going to divide this church. You're not going to get our church off track. You're not going to do that. No, you're not. You're not going to take my family. You're not going to destroy my marriage. No, you will not. You will not continue to tie me up in knots of doubt and guilt and fear. You will not. You will not have my children. You will not take my grandchildren. You're not going to have anything in my life. You're not going to have a single inch of property in Woodburn or Franklin, devil. Don't you understand? No, you're not going to take it. You're not going to have it. It's a battle. And you've got to fight it. You've got to stand up. You've got to get aggressive. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? There are people who are more concerned that they get their kid on the right traveling baseball team than whether or not they get their kid to heaven. You listening? More concerned about getting their kid into college and keeping their own kid out of hell. What are you thinking? We have an enemy who is waiting to destroy your family. He would love to have your children. Don't you care? Don't you care? A broken community right outside the front doors of Woodburn and right across the street from Franklin Campus. And everywhere else you look, there are people in bondage. There are people already living defeated lives because of the work of the devil. Don't you care about that? Because we got a battle to face, a battle to engage. we got to get some holy aggression. Because notice what else? I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. It's that language of binding and loosing. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Honestly, it's really, really difficult to understand what Jesus means there. And, And there are a lot of ideas And I don't know the answer, except one thing. There's one thing that's clear to me from this verse. It's that what we do on earth here, what the church does here, it has consequences in heaven. Whatever else this verse means, it it at least means that. That that what we do here, the the things that we bind, the the battles that we fight and we engage and we bind the evil, when we bind his work, whatever we do down here, it has a kind of eternal significance. What we do here continues to ripple out for all eternity. What we loosen here, what we set free, what we permit, it has the same kind of effect in heaven. What the scripture says so plainly, so beautifully, is that what the church is about is about the things that have eternal significance. There's no other place in your life, nothing else that you're a part of that that makes you a part of eternity. Nothing that you do on the job, I, I promise you, nothing you do on the job matters for eternity. How many times you fold the same box? How many times you fill out the same paperwork? How many times you continue to sit at your computer day after day after day? There's no eternal significance there. 
You get that house of your dreams and, and the car of all of your fantasies, and you have everything that you dream of on earth, but don't you understand, there's no eternal significance to that. On the day of the Lord, when he comes and says, enough, it's all over, don't you understand, all of that is gone. Every bit of that is gone. But the church is different. The church is different. What we do, what we are called to do, what we are about are the things of eternal significance. The things that we do matter in heaven and matter for all of eternity. So please understand this, that the things we bind on earth, the battles that we fight and we fight and we put the enemy away, that matters for all eternity. That matters. And the things that we loosen, the things that we set free, and as far as I'm concerned, the most important things that we can ever set free are people. People set free. People set free from their sin and their bondage to the devil. People set free from doubt and guilt and addiction. People set free. I'm telling you, when people are set free in Christ, they are free indeed, and they are free for eternity. We're the church. We're the church. We're the church that Christ is building. For this very brief moment of our lives, he gives us the keys. Unbelievable. But he gives us the keys. He gives us ownership. He gives us responsibility. He gives us a kind of stewardship over things that matter for all of eternity. Over the lives and souls of people. To understand? That's why I pray. That's why I beg God for your souls, because your souls matter for eternity. It's not about my praying, it's about God's doing, but I'm telling you, everything I do, I want God to come under me. I want God's power, God's strength, because this is a battle I cannot win, I cannot face on my own. I've got to have his strength, I've got to go in his name, and so do you, so do you. Woodburn Baptist Church together, all of us together, we've got a battle to wage. We would love to just get together and have potlucks till Jesus comes. That would be wonderful. We just can't do that. Maybe we could have long, long business meetings and argue about itty-bitty things that do not matter for eternity. We could do that. Some people love that, but it doesn't matter. That's not what we're called to do. There's too much at stake, way too much at stake. There are people's lives at stake. There's a world of lost people waiting for us to get it together and go tell them about Jesus. Your own children, their lives are at stake. Your grandchildren, your nieces and nephews, the kids who will come to your house trick-or-treating. Do you understand? They matter to God. There's a war, a battle being waged for their souls. And whether you like it or not, you're pulled into that battle now. Victory is certain, absolutely certain. There's no question how this turns out. The church wins. The church is presented to God faultless and beautiful, a precious bride for Christ. That's how it ends. We know that. But between here and there, there are a lot of smaller battles to wage. And these are the battles that you and I have to fight. Let me tell you something very important. Your victory is certain. Certain. There's nothing the devil can do to take it away from you. It's yours. Christ won it for you. 
The only way the devil can defeat you is if you don't fight. Only way he can win at Woodburn Baptist Church is if Woodburn Baptist Church doesn't stand against him. It's not me. It's not you. It's Christ. It's his church. We're blessed to be a part of it. I am blessed to preach for Christ and to bless for you. I know I stink it up a lot of the time, but praise the Lord. It's not about me and my ability to put words together. It's about Christ and what he's done. I'm blessed to serve him in all of my inadequacy. You are blessed to serve him as well in all of your weakness. That's the hilarious and beautiful part of it. When everything is said and done, those of us who are inadequate and weak, frightened, we will stand before Christ, victorious with him, completely victorious with him. Pray with me. God, in the name of Jesus, give us a a holy aggression. Give us, Lord, a a spiritual, holy, burning uh, aggression. Help us, Lord, to know what matters for eternity and to know what we are called to do and to know what the church is supposed to be about and help us to forget everything else. Everything else, God, help us to put aside everything else except the things that matter for eternity. Let us, Lord, to live and breathe and bleed and fight for the things that matter for all eternity. Our souls, our lives, our marriages, our children, our grandchildren, our communities, the world that you love. Oh, Lord Jesus, help us to see what matters and to forget what doesn't matter. Oh, Lord, some of us spend all of our aggression, so much energy fighting battles that aren't worth fighting, that do not matter. Oh, Jesus, give us a fight, a fight in our heart, a fight in our bones that we will stand up and stand against the devil and that we will claim all of the victory you have given us and never, ever let the devil take anything, anything that is not his. And nothing in this place, nothing about this church, nothing about us, belongs to him. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us the victory. Lord, I pray that we will not give away the victory in our lives by refusing to fight, by shrinking back from the fight. Oh God, give us feet to stand and to stand strong and something to stand upon. Lord Jesus, I begged you for this congregation this week. I begged you to move and set hearts on fire. I begged you. And I stand here this morning, Lord, completely dependent upon you. Oh, God, it's your church. It's your word. And we are your people. Oh, God, you do with us what you want to do with us. We're begging you, God. You take this church. You take it in your hands. You make it. You make it what you intend it to be. We pray these things in the name of Jesus.
Amen.